Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. With two guests, Kevin Freeman and Greg Berg. They're not strangers to World Prayer Network call. Kevin Freeman's been on many times, and Greg Berg is one of the board members of Wellversed. I'll uh, cover their credentials in a moment, or I'll have them cover their credentials. I want them to do that. But I'm going to go right first to Kevin, and then we'll add Greg in in a little bit. Uh, Kevin, I want you to take the first minute, even though you've been on World Prayer Network many times, I want you to take the first minute just to introduce yourself, who you are, books you've written, the ministry you have, uh, and, and what you're up to. And then we're going to jump into the issue of the bank failures, the bank closures. And my question is, what on earth is going on? So, with that said, introduce yourself for the first minute or so. Yeah, Pastor Jim, uh, I'm Kevin Freeman. I'm the author of a number of books. According to Plan is the most recent one. Before that was Game Plan. Before that was one called Secret Weapon. Uh, by training, I'm an economist, and my vocation was, up until about 15 years ago, uh, investment management. And I helped build for John Templeton a private client group. We managed about $2.5 billion. Uh, and I retired from that in the year 2000. But uh, in the year 2008, we saw examples of financial terrorism and economic warfare. And I was uh, hired by the Pentagon as a consultant to look into how some enemy of the United States might use our financial markets to take down our nation. And we saw evidence that uh, Russia uh, and elements in the Middle East, uh, particularly uh, Abu Dhabi and Qatar had attacked our banking system. And from that, I began to study economic warfare. What I do now is I'm the host of a show called Economic War Room, and we train financial advisors. Economic War Room's purpose is to explain the strange things happening in the economy and the stock market. And if that's economic warfare, to call it out and to give solutions to the federal government on how we can address it. Uh, on the training of investment advisors, our goal there is to help uh, good people invest their money safely and wisely if we're facing financial crisis. And so we train these advisors at Liberty University. We've been doing that for a couple of years. And we uh, now have the National Security Investment Consultant Institute where trained advisors meet and where clients can come and say, hey, I want an advisor who can help me protect our money. So that those are the two main emphasis of what we do it. We do it here at Liberty Hawk Ranch, where I'm sitting now, where we try and solve economic problems and provide free market solutions in a biblical framework. Wonderful. That ranch is a remarkable ranch, just slightly north of the Dallas, what we're there for, a beautiful area. We've had the privilege of being there. Kevin, congratulations on what you do. I'm going to start with you, and then we'll get to Greg later. And so my question is, what happened? Uh, I, as a child, I heard the stories of bank failures. I heard the stories when I was a child of my grandpa losing everything when the bank went down. And then, of course, we were aware of the $250,000 deposit that was covered, and I've lived with that all my life. And then suddenly we have bank closures happening again. Talk to us about what happened recently and why we should be concerned and how we should prepare. Well, Silicon Valley Bank, which was the second largest, they call it a bank failure, but it really was a bank closure by the FDIC, second largest in the history of the country, uh, they were closed a week ago. Um, and here's what killed Silicon Valley Bank. Now, first, we've got to understand Silicon Valley Bank means exactly that. It's located in the Silicon Valley. They provide a lot of funding for venture capital firms, a lot of funding uh, for California. And so if you have a tech startup idea, that's the place you put your money. And I had a tech startup idea 20 years ago. It didn't work out very well. But when we got our money from venture capital, we stuck it right in Silicon Valley Bank. It was closed by the FDIC on the basis of a bank run, as you mentioned. Now, I can walk through and I'd like to share the five factors that I believe caused this failure of Silicon Valley Bank, at one point considered one of the best and best managed banks in the country, but they've fallen a great way from, from that stature. So if that's all right, Jim, I'd like to share those five factors. The first factor that happened, when a bank gets money in, they invest it or they loan it out. And they've been investing in long-dated treasury bonds. Everybody knows that interest rates just 
very, not very long ago, were at essentially zero. You got no money when you deposited your money in the bank. They'd pay you virtually nothing for it. Now, for those of us who have lived through a few decades, we know that at one time you could get four, five, six, eight percent on your money in the bank. But until very recently, it was zero percent. That was from COVID and all the things that happened. Well, uh, they would take money in, pay 0%. They could turn around and invest it in government bonds and get 2 3 4% in government bonds, and it looked like a very safe thing to do. And in fact, the FDIC said to banks, hey, you can do this, and that's a good place for your money, and they counted those treasury bond investments as quite valuable. But then something happened. Interest rates started to rise. The Federal Reserve started to raise the rate of interest. And we've all seen it happen in mortgage rates and everything else. Traditionally, this would be viewed as good for banks because higher interest rates mean they can get a good spread. They loan their money out at this level and they borrow money at this level. So they pay depositors very little and they're investing it at a higher rates. But what happens with bonds when interest rates go up is that the value of long dated bonds become less. And I'll tell you why. If you've loaned your money to the federal government and bought a 30-year bond and you bought it at 2.5% and all of a sudden the new bonds are paying 3.5%, your 2.5% bond isn't nearly as attractive to you anymore. And it's like, gosh, that guy over there is getting 3.5% for his money. I really would like to get that 3.5%. Well, the value of your bond goes down. That means the value of the bank holding that bond goes down too. And all of a sudden that created the second problem. And that is people looked at the bank and they said, wow, their portfolio of bonds isn't worth as much as we thought that it was worth. And that's caused because of fractional banking. That means the bank, when they get your money in, they can invest it, they can loan it out, and they keep a little amount, a fraction of that on hand for depositors if they want to take their money out. Well, fractional banking then meant that they didn't have 100% of what you put in the bank there at Silicon Valley. In fact, uh, they had a small fraction of it. And when people started to panic, wait, their bond portfolio is worth less. Maybe this bank is at risk. They started to demand their money out. And that's what fractional banking causes bank runs. So that was the second problem. And we saw the bank runs happen. Uh, with that, we saw Kim.com tweet a run on the banks is coming and we also heard other venture capitalists had put their money in and some of them put a lot of money 10 20 100 million dollars well the fdic insurance only covers the first two hundred and fifty thousand dollars so people panicked and started to take their money out silicon valley bank did not have enough cash on hand to meet all the deposit demands and so the FDI stepped in and closed them. That's the second problem. The third problem is they were very, very woke. I mean, very woke. They gave like $74 million to Black Lives Matter. They were so woke that their head of risk was really a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer trying to make sure that the bank wasn't doing microaggressions. So the loan, the risk officer wasn't looking at the loan portfolio. The risk officer wasn't recognizing the, the risk of rising interest rates. The risk officer was worried that maybe they would offend uh, an employee or a customer because they weren't woke enough. So that's the third problem. The fourth problem is the FDIC deposit insurance only covered the first $250,000. Silicon Valley Bank had 94% of their deposits uninsured at that point. And so that was a serious problem. And the fifth problem is that uh, there may have been economic warfare. China knows they've written a book called Unrestricted Warfare, and it talks about things like causing bank runs and causing a financial crisis. So it's possible that they could have attacked this bank or the woke uh, World Economic Forum types don't want money to be going into banks or into cryptocurrency. They want it to go into the new central bank digital currency that's emerging. And Silicon Valley Bank was a big supporter of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So it's possible that there was some economic warfare. But those five factors combined, any combination of them, caused the run on the bank that caused Silicon Valley Bank to be closed.
Let me pose a question on the $250,000 is covered uh, by, by federal insurance. All of a sudden we hear Biden saying, no, it's all gonna be covered if I understood the news properly. One, does he have any such authority in the Constitution of the United States to suddenly decide that he's going to cover more than the FDIC is, is authorized to cover? Well, that's a fair legal question. And the answer is, I don't know, but I don't think so. I mean, the FDIC promise was approved by Congress when they raised the amount from 100000 maximum to 250000 maximum uh, 15 years ago. Uh, it took an act of Congress to do it. Can the president do it just by decision, by fiat? I don't know. Plus, the FDIC doesn't seem to have enough money to cover 100% of all the deposits in all the banks. And in fact, Janet Yellen, uh, the Treasury Secretary, has said, well, we won't do that for every bank, but these ones were systemically important, and therefore, yes, we're going to do that. So the legal authority is questionable. The economic ability is questionable. So we, we have two real serious questions. Can they guarantee? And the third one, the moral question, is can you do it for these banks but not do it for the local community bank where a farmer might have his or her money that they need, you know, they need more than 250000 to bring the crop in to pay all the workers and all that. Can you do it for can you do it for one and not for the other? So there are serious questions, legal, uh, economic, and moral, uh, with what the decision they make. Yeah, it would strike me as odd if the president actually had any such authority. Now, we always need an attorney to respond to that, or maybe Greg going to be able to respond to that. I, I'm going to ask this question. I'll have a question for both the two of you, but let's have Greg take a moment and introduce yourself. Tell who you are, and then we're going to throw both of you into the fray together. Okay. My name is Greg Berg. I'm a first vice president, portfolio manager, and uh, personal advisor at Merrill Lynch, which is owned by Bank of America. And as such, anything that I talk about may or may not be covered by Bank of America or be a suitable investment recommendation. As such, we recommend that you speak with your trained financial advisor. As such, I'm on the front line dealing with clients, high net worth individuals and businesses that invest money on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and Greg is a member of the board of WellVerse for full disclosure. Uh, the ministry that I found and my wife and I founded together four, four or five years ago. And he's uh, been an enormous help uh, to our ministry, guiding us in many ministry decisions. Greg, what would you want to add to what Kevin has said as the reasons why this bank went down? Uh, he hit on a very key topic with the chief uh, risk officer of the bank. She was, in fact, a de facto DEI representative and officer of the bank. When she I go ahead. I know what that means, but I'm, I want to make sure our audience knows anytime I'll probably break into both of you and have you decode any language a DEI. What's that mean? Uh, that's diversity, equity and inclusion. So that's where she spent the majority of her time. Now, and what, what is diversity, equity and inclusion? I mean, every college now has a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. What? Uh, do, just take one word at a time. Diversity, what does that word mean? What, what are they requiring a college or a business to do? That, that means they don't want to look like white males. Like they us. Okay. They want African Americans, they want Hispanics, they want the Asian community involved. Okay, that's diversity. Uh, equity. Everyone needs to be treated the same. So it doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever. Uh, outside of Christianity, just about everything else is covered. They tend okay, to- Yes, interesting. yes. Inclusion. Inclusion. Everyone is included in the decision-making process. Everyone's feelings matter. In corporate business, it's not just the owners of the corporation, but it's what they refer to as stakeholders. So if I do business with you, I'm now a stakeholder in that corporation. So they have to look at what I'm doing. They look upstream to my suppliers. If I use a, a pad of paper, is that company being socially responsible? And socially responsible oftentimes means ESGs, another code word. What are ESGs? Because this, this is one of the five reasons Kevin gave. This is one of the five reasons why this bank went down. It wasn't concerned with actual profit motive. It was concerned with social appropriate expression. 
So uh, what's, what's ESGs? What does that mean? Environmental, social, and governance. And what's the E stand for? What does environmental mean? Uh, how well are we treating the environment? Are we getting away from fossil fuels and going clean, green energy? And if you're a farmer and you have cattle, you got to get rid of half of your cattle. That's what the government in, in the Netherlands just said. Okay, so that's... You're using anhydrous ammonia. Exactly. You can't use that for fertilizer. Right. I'm an old farmer, so I know what, how important that is. So that's D. I mean, that's E. Now we go to S. S stands for what? Socially responsible. How and what does socially responsible mean? How am I treating everyone in the community, whether they're a customer or not? What that, let me decode that. That means, are you catering to transgender and bi and homosexuals? Right? Okay. Yeah. And G, what does G mean? Governance. Those people that are in authority, board of directors, senior managers, do those look like you and I, or is it diversified across sexes and uh, different classes? Again, African American, Hispanic, Asian, are they, do they have a seat at the table? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so the, the officer in charge of this is much more consumed with making sure that they are politically correct than they are using judgments uh, that favor actual profitability of the respective corporation. That's my view. I'm not trying to get you guys to say that, but that'd be my perception of it. So having, having said that, now continue, Greg, right where you were and help us understand a little bit more. You're, you're unpacking one of Kevin's five points. Ultimately, she left the bank. She was not replaced for nine months. She being? Uh, the chief risk officer. And, and her task was to make sure she keeps a, a careful tab on the risk, risk to reward kind of banking procedures. Is that it? Investments. Right. Uh, are they buying short and intermediate or just long bonds? Are they hedging in the market sophisticated uh, investment strategies to protect yourself in case the market moves against you? Well, without a chief risk officer, that area failed. And it took nine months to, for them to replace that officer with a new officer in January of this year. By that time, the damage had been done. This shows my ignorance of the banking industry, but do you actually have to have a risk management officer doing that full time? And aren't there not enough brains in the bank that could see, even without a person doing that full time, that wait a minute, this is dangerous what we're doing. This has some downsides. Aren't there other people in the bank, even if that particular position was not filled, that should have said, wait a minute, stop, we're, we're heading towards danger. It's like having a bunch of attorneys on staff, but having a chief legal counsel, having a bunch of accountants on staff, but having a chief financial officer. Who's the one that is the ultimate responsibility on their shoulders to say yes or no, and take that to the board and take it to the CEO? Okay, did, did, did I'm gonna kind of, any more Greg you wanna say on that one? I'll just keep focused on you. Now I'm gonna throw it to both of you here in a moment together. Uh, I think I'll defer to Kevin because he had an excellent five-point presentation. Okay. Uh, would this have been, was this obvious to people in the banking industry that they were coming to a bridge out? Or was this really, did this really catch the whole banking world by surprise? Or was this not actually obvious weeks or months ago? Well, I'll tell you, we, we were lulled into a, a sense of complacency uh, because the regulators would take long-dated treasury bonds, those, you know, 10, 20, 30-year treasury bonds, and they said those are special assets. They're guaranteed. No matter what, the government is going to pay the money. You just hold on to those bonds. At the end of, the, of 10 years or 20 or 30 years, you're going to get your money back. So those are 100% safe, and they weren't marked to market. Now, marked to market is a good thing, and it's a bad thing. Uh, mark to market in the banking industry means that if, if the value of your investment has gone down, let's be reasonable, let's be realistic, and let's mark that thing down because it's not worth as much as it was uh, when you first bought it. 
And so you say, hey, that would be prudent. Uh, but the problem with mark-to-market, if you do it too often, if, if people had somebody knock on their door every day and say, hey, your house is worth $700,000 today, they're like, oh, wow, that's exciting. And then somebody knocked on your door and said, it's worth $600,000 today, and then $500,000, people might panic and sell their house when they don't need to. Well, so mark-to-market can be a good thing and prudent, or it can be a bad thing. The regulators said, marking to market is not required for treasury securities and so therefore they're safe and the entire banking industry listened to the regulators and said hey we don't really have to mark to market and at the time they were buying them the 30-year treasury bond paid better than the two-year treasury bond and so of course i'm going to put my money in the 30-year treasury bond it's going to give me a higher rate of interest and i'll get a bigger spread and therefore i'll have higher profits and the regulators, in a sense, failed. But I'll tell you, they're not the only ones who failed. The other failure came from the Federal Reserve, who said, no, no, inflation is under control. We'll never see inflation again. No, we don't have to worry. It's transitory. It'll go away on its own. So they didn't imagine that they would have to raise interest rates. The entire market and the regulators and the Federal Reserve had been lulled to sleep, believing that we wouldn't have any more inflation, that we weren't going to have an increase in interest rates. We don't have to worry. In fact, they were more worried that interest rates would go negative than they were that we would have high interest rates. Now, this is contrary. Viewers of the Economic War Room, two years ago, we ran a show uh, that said things have changed. Inflation is coming back and it's here to stay. A year ago, we ran a program that said, hey, the, the great reset people are looking for the next financial crisis or the next crisis of any kind, probably a financial crisis, and they want to use this to usher in the central bank digital currency, uh, digital dollar, uh, control of your money, close the banks, and, and really take control of people like they did in Canada with the truckers. So we warned people about this, but the market itself... And in fact, Silicon Valley Bank was one of the top rated in the first two months of the year. Jim Cramer went on mad money talking about what a great bank it was, I think in February, talking about how great it was. So if you didn't notice the woke, if you didn't look at the interest rate hikes, if you didn't think that, that there would ever be uh, you know, a reason that people would have to sell their 30-year bonds at a loss, then, then you weren't prepared for this. And the entire market didn't seem prepared for it. This came as a horrible shock to most people. Yeah. Is there any accountability on the part of those, you say the regulators, you're talking about the government at that point, or bank managers, officers of the bank, any accountability for the failure and the damage caused by all this? Whenever a bank is taken over by the FDIC, the bank officers are automatically replaced. So the president and all his subordinates are generally taken uh, out of their positions and new people put into place. Another aspect of this was, if we remember back to It's a Wonderful Life, we saw a live run on the bank in that movie. People had to come and stand in line. Today, with electronic banking, people are able to move hundreds of millions and billions of dollars with a single keystroke. So you had Circle, which was a corporation that had over $3 billion on deposit at this bank. You had uh, another big technology company that had in excess of $500 million. All they had to do was go online before the regulators closed the bank and with a few keystrokes, out that money went. That forced the bank to liquidate those non-mark-to-market accounting uh, bonds and fire sale them into the open market. So if a hundred dollar bond was worth 70 and they were fire sailing, they may only have been able to raise 50 cents on the dollar. Hence, because of fractional banking, they did not have enough reserves or capital to cover all of that money that was going out. That's what the FDIC saw and that's why they closed the bank. <clears throat> Is this going to result in bigger banks buying up more small banks and so we're now reducing the number of banks and we have massive institutions just a few of them for banking purposes in our country 
from a market standpoint, imagine you've got your money in the local bank and the Treasury Secretary has just said, well, we will certainly save any big bank and cover 100% of the deposits of any big bank, but, but maybe not all the banks. You, the first thing you're going to do is, is, does my local community bank deserve my investments? Uh, maybe I should pull that out and take it to one of the big big, big banks like the J.P. Morgan Chases, the Citibanks, the Wells Fargo's, uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, maybe I need to put all my assets in those big banks because they'll be more secure. And we've seen that. We've seen some movement of money into the big banks. The problem there is that even the big bank, Citibank has 74% of its deposits uninsured according to an FDIC report that, or an Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council report that I'm looking at. J.P. Morgan, 52%. Bank of America, 46%. Uh, Goldman Sachs, 48%. So uh, Morgan Stanley, 30%. So, you know, are we going to see that? Yes, quite possibly. That's the opposite of what I want to see. I want to have a relationship with my local banker. I want to look them in the eye and say, are you excluding me because uh, I, I'm pro-life? Are you excluding me because I voted for this candidate or that candidate? I want to be able to have a direct personal relationship. So I actually recommend there's a tool that we debuted on uh, this week on uh, Economic War Room called 1792 Exchange Tool. You can go to 1792 Exchange and, and look it up and see how woke your bank was. So I did that with Silicon Valley Bank and it, it flashed red, red, red. It's a very, very woke bank. Uh, my local bank that I use happens to be green because the smaller the bank, the less likely it's overly woke. You both live in Texas, and you probably can't really answer this question, but if if Silicon Valley, if Signature Bank was in what state? Was it New York? New York. So we have Signature Bank in New York. We have Silicon Valley in California. Had these banks been in Midland, Texas, and have been oil oil tycoons who invested in these guys, um, would they have been protected by the president in the way that these were? That's a fair question. I, th there's no way to know the answer, but you wonder if there's a political bias in what you save and what you don't save, given this administration and how they've acted. I, I have to say that is a reasonable question, uh, whether or not and how. It's not just whether how they might have saved the bank uh, and, and that change. I think my personal opinion is all of this is, is being driven to nationalizing the entire banking system and to institute the digital currency, uh, digital dollar, uh, CBDC, and, and the whole purpose of, of, you know, never let a serious crisis go to waste uh, of this is is to to take the banking industry because keep in mind silicon valley bank they had a lot of their loans that were de dei diversity equity and inclusion or esg tied where they were funding things that they thought were good for the environment or good for social justice or good uh for the lgbtq movement that they were making loans on that basis it no longer was about making loans for the most likely um, borrower to return the money and make a profit for the bank. It was, we have all these other agenda items. So in Texas, maybe they would have had a little less of that woke, but we don't know if they would save a Texas-based bank if Texas votes the wrong way in a presidential election. And I, I think that's a very sad thing to see, but when you hear that the president of the United States may get arrested uh, on Trump, you know, trumped up is, a, is quite the term, isn't it? On charges that were previously uh, misdemeanors, but they elevated them to felonies and that they weren't looking. You wonder if there is a, a genuine justice in from this federal government. So I, I think that's a good question, Jim. We're, um, we, we generally do the World Prayer Network live, I want to say to the audience. Uh, because of schedules, we had to take this on a Monday for a Wednesday airing. And Kevin has just referred to the potential of the president being arrested on Monday today. We're told that he's supposedly going to be arrested tomorrow on Tuesday. So I'm sharing that because you may wonder why, if that happens on Tuesday, this airs on Wednesday, why are we speaking up the way we are? It's because we're taping on Monday 
on this particular occasion because of schedule conflicts. They couldn't be on with us on on on, on Wednesday. Uh, I, I want you to. What's going through my mind is is the freshness of my experience of just going through a dozen European countries, and part of those European countries were in the Eastern Bloc, former Soviet countries, and I saw the pain and the suffering still from the infliction of atheistic communism. It was on them for forty five years. We were in Albania, Macedonia, Latvia, Romania. We were in a dozen countries, and I saw the. Um, leftover vestiges of the impact of this. And part of it is the failure to have a, a Judeo-Christian foundation. Now the church did rise up again and came out of the Aishib of in from 1990 all these various countries. Uh, but oh my goodness, the leftover vestige and damage of atheistic communism, Marxism, it's pretty staggering. And part of it is this um, this greed, extortion, bribery, uh, just corruption. Corruption is sort of the middle name in some of the countries of the world. We, we all know that. We've heard that. What is jolting to me is, is, is we see the Judeo-Christian foundation erased little by little by little from America. What we're seeing in its place is obviously what always fills in, and that's the realm of that which is anti-Christian, and that is the level of corruption. And, and for a government in this country, in the United States of America, literally play favorites and say, well, we're only obligated by law 250,000, but you gave 74 million to BLM during the riots. So we feel we're, we're going we're gonna to cover everything and taxpayers are out. People like me, you, all the listeners are out all these dollars. It so feels like the nations I just came from and what they have faced in their past. It is a reason for deep concern for our nation morally and ethically, the only hope we have is the foundation, Judeo-Christian foundation, found in Scripture and coming to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and establishing ourselves squarely in that place. Secular humanism, Marxism, whatever, whatever rises up is devastating and harmful and brings such increased human pain, suffering, and poverty. So is this an appeal on my part there, that pastoral instinct wanting to like all of us want to do, want to, want to protect our country in this moment. I want you to take us back to this central banking digital currency that we're being, we're, we're crusading for at a fast pace. It is the obvious, it is the reason it's obvious, they want to track every cent we spend. Once that's done, the everybody, big, big brother, will know exactly where every dollar, every cent goes. Is that the purpose? and then controlling where we spend, how we spend, what we get, when we get it. Talk to us a little bit more about where we're heading with that, either one of you or both. Go ahead, Kevin. Sure, I, I think there's no question. I mean, we, we have the FedNow version of a CBDC that's been tested and will roll out in July. We have the president write an executive order last year that ordered the government to look at the possibility of a central bank digital currency. Uh, we have foreign nations, China being in the lead, but other nations that are created the digital yuan and other uh, digital currencies. And they do have those control mechanisms. They're not only in there, they're touted as features when they talk about it. They talk how they could use the central bank digital currency to speed up spending by putting an expiration date on it or to slow down spending by saying it's not good until after a certain date. Oh, my, wait, 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 repeat what, what you just say. That's the first I've heard in that line. Repeat oh, that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's a feature touted by the Federal Reserve and in the studies that they could literally put a uh, expiration date on your money that would force you to move faster so they could use it for economic policy or they could put a not good until date on your money it's like post dating a check so that you couldn't spend it until a certain date so they can control how fast or slow it goes into the economy presumably to keep the economy rolling at a good pace but think about the dictate the dictator the tyrannical control that you could have with that 
You could then decide your money is not good in a certain area, not good for a certain product, not good. Uh, you, know, you, you can't buy uh, uh, gasoline with this, but you can charge your electric car with this. You can't buy a gasoline car. You can't buy natural gas or a natural gas stove. These are all the things that they've been talking about coming together with this absolute control. Now, the good news is we have a solution in Texas that I'm going to be meeting. The reason I can't be live with you is I'm going to be meeting with the attorney general, a state senator, a, a state representative, and, and members from the comptroller's office to talk about two bills, a House bill and a Senate bill, that creates the opposite of central bank digital currency, that solves all the problems of fractional banking and wokeness and the problem of, of uh, higher interest rates and inflation and the problem of foreign control. It solves all those problems wrapped up in a single bill. So we're trying to solve the problem we're talking about here with a meeting that's taking place at the same time while I'm in Austin. And I thank both of you for um, being flexible enough to let me record what I'm sharing as opposed to uh, being live. You've, uh, you've talked a little bit about that before. And Greg, I want you to jump in at any point here that you want to contribute. Uh, if you want to say something, but uh, you talked a little about that. What is to keep, Kevin, this, this bank in Texas, which, as I understand it, is gold-backed. Is that right? Yeah, not only is it gold-backed, it's actually gold. Uh, the, bill, the bill requires that you do transact. It doesn't require you transact business, but it allows you to transact business using gold or silver coins according to the Constitution. Article 1, Section 10 says, no state shall make anything tender other than gold and silver coins. That means the state can't print dollars, a state can't uh, coin money that's not gold or silver, pure. Now, that interpretation through the years by the Supreme Court as, as late as 1837 said that if you 100% put gold or silver on deposit with a state, they can allow you to transact business and they could issue certificates or in this case the bill that we have in texas would say that you can have gold and silver on deposit and you can transact it as if you were using a debit card and it's seamless i've used this technology uh, recently, I was in Colorado Springs and I pulled out my Glint card and I paid for our meal. There were six of us and we ate at a nice Italian restaurant. The bill was $240 and it took four grams of gold out of my account through the MasterCard network and paid them $240. So you don't have to own gold. You just have to deposit your money with the Texas Bullion Depository, let them convert it to gold. They will hold it for you until you spend it. So it is not just gold back, it is literally gold, which protects you against inflation, which protects you against fractional banking, because it doesn't matter how many people take their gold out of, of that depository, your gold is your gold and it's held there as your gold and it's spendable and it's convenient and it's simple and the technology exists and it's constitutional. And right now we're looking at passing a bill in the House and Senate identical pieces of legislation that will literally allow you to do this so that you could deposit your money right there. You don't have to have gold. You don't have to take jewelry or anything like that. You just deposit your money like you would at any bank. They would hold it in the form of gold until you spend it. No investments, no fractionalized, no, you know, at plus gold has gone up during this crisis. It's no guarantee it will always go up, uh, go, but over time, gold has held its own against inflation much, much better than the paper dollar. We're gonna have a lot of people wanting more information on what you're talking about, so better be prepared if you're your website for that. Uh, what kind of time frame are we on? You, you and I talked about this for quite some time and it, uh, uh, you are really making substantial progress on it, which is really uh, amazing what you've done and marvel how you've moved this along. Uh, what kind of time frame do you think you are on and what you were citing when you cited the Constitution, you were citing not the Texas Constitution, but the U.S. Constitution, Article Correct. 1. And, uh, and so to what extent will the federal government take action somehow in opposition to what you are proposing 
because this would go against their capacity to control, manipulate, and monitor every citizen. Well, that's why we have to move quickly. You asked how fast. It is in the Texas legislature. We only meet four months every two years. Uh, it is a bill that we believe we have support from uh, the, uh, the uh, lieutenant governor who runs the Senate and, and good support in the House and Senate. If it passes, the comptroller will begin setting it up almost immediately. So we hope the legislation passes in May, and we hope that we have it uh, set up before the end of the year. Now, there is a threat. The federal government is trying to push through the states uh, a change to the uniform commercial code, and it's just perfunctory most of the time, where basically the state looks at it and says, oh yeah, this is the new rules that we operate between each other on. The UCC bill gets put in. Well, they did this in South Dakota, and Christy Nome, the governor, vetoed the bill because there was a tiny provision in there that said that the only digital currency they would accept would be a digital dollar, and that was it. And that would be an attempt to stop what we're doing. Now, we have to stop that legislation at the UCC level, and we got to do that. Glenn Beck is on this. He's been heightening the awareness of it. And, and thank God for Christy Nome, who has vetoed that bill, and we're going to all these other... David Barton is helping with this, going to all the states and telling the legislators, shoot this down. And then, on the other side of it, they won't be able to stop a digital Texan Article 1, Section 10, and the Supreme Court ruling, Briscoe versus Bank of Kentucky in 1837, make it plain that the federal government has no say in this. It's an enumerated authority of the state of Texas, according to the Constitution. And as long as we have the existing Supreme Court, the one that shot down Roe v. Wade, the one that, that is led, in my mind, by Clarence Thomas, I believe they will uphold this and we can win this battle. But we have to do it here and now. This isn't our Alamo. I'm hoping this is our San Jacinto. Well, very interesting. We, we learned long ago that great laws and good constitutions become worthless if you have evil judges interpreting them. And so it all determines on the integrity of judges who actually follow the U.S. Constitution. We wouldn't be a, we, before three years ago, if I'd have talked that way, I would sound like a conspiracy theorist. Talking that way today, I'm a realist of what we have been facing in this country for the last three years as totalitarian authoritarianism has risen in almost every nation of the earth, including our own tragically. Greg, you want to jump in? And I haven't given you much chance to make commentary here. Here's your opportunity, my brother. That's fine. Uh, let's go back in history a little bit. 1962, there were 25,000 banks. By 1986, there were 17,700. By 95, there were 11,900. At the end of 2021, there were 4844. And September 30th, 2022, it was down to 4,157 community banks. They had $23.6 trillion in assets. The big five make up almost $10 trillion in assets. The big keep getting bigger, the small keep consolidating. This has been a long-term plan. It's not something where banks are going out of business all of a sudden or suddenly. This has been taking place over time. We're just starting to hear it for the first time in mass since the 2008 financial crisis and the savings and loan crisis decades before that. Again, if they can consolidate in Europe, they have basically eight major banks Credit Suisse went under this weekend. UBS bought them out for $3.2 trillion. The banking regulators set it up in such a way that the board of directors for either one of the companies did not have to vote and approve. This was mandated by the government. The implications for that, uh, we, we used to think, we used to think, for example, let's think of the Stephen Magnate, let's think of Carnegie, Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, back in that era, uh, we, we, would, we would see these uh, massive conglomerates, and so we have anti-monopoly laws to kind of break them up when they get, they get bigger than the government itself. But now, this is, this is the uh, business in, uh, entity in bed with the government, it would seem to me. That is considerably more alarming. Am I misunderstanding it? Well, in fact, the big money center banks tend to uh, be towards the left. If you follow the money, look at their giving, it's primarily to the left. 
So uh, the big banks were the big beneficiaries of uh, Silicon Valley Bank going defunct. Same way with uh, Signature Bank in New York. The big banks received most of those assets as people transfer their money. The big, get, the big keep getting bigger, the small keep going under. What would you say, and to the, we're gonna to need to wrap this up. You men, I, I so appreciate your time coming on. You've got, you've got very busy schedules and you worked in this time for this taking this. What would you say the average listener who may have a modest sum amount, by modest I mean enough to hopefully see them through the end of their life, uh, but they're not always sure of even that and the insecurities we feel economically in our globe right now. What would you say they can do, uh, Kevin, you, what you're proposing for Texas could at the, the earliest, the earliest, it would be how long before this would come to fruition in Texas, what you're proposing? Well, the bullion depository is already established. We built that uh, 10 years ago, which was great. That was the first step. This is the potential concluding step. Uh, the earliest it would be available would be uh, late this year, but it can be available. The technology exists and we're moving that way and it helps the average person. I mean, if you're wealthy, if you've got $100 million, you can move your money around, you can buy gold, you can do all these things. The average person doesn't have that option. And if you buy gold, you can't really spend it. It's it's almost impossible to think, well, where would I store it? What would I do with it? I, you know, I'm going to buy gold coins. Or How do I do that? This legislation, and I'm going to implore the World Prayer Network to pray for us, especially as I'm meeting with those people, because this legislation will make it for the average person. You could put a thousand dollars in in that account, or a hundred thousand, or a million dollars, or a hundred million dollars, and have it safe, secure, protected, you know, insured by Lloyd's of London. But the the gold is going to be guarded. I, I joke and say it'll be guarded by Chuck Norris and the Ch Texas Rangers, but it's going to be guarded by the state of Texas. Now, if people want to learn more about this, uh, go to economicwarroom.com and watch our episode 224 on the gold bullet for CBDC or the Great Reset. Just go to economicwarroom.com, sign up for our battle plans. And if you do that, you'll see a show this week from Paul Fitzpatrick where he's talking about how to identify if your bank or any other uh, company you work with is woke. And you'll see after that a show where I'm explaining everything I covered here, the five reasons the bank failed and what we need to do about it with an action plan. How do I do this? And there'll be an Align Act campaign where you can point, click, send to all the legislators in Texas saying, please pass this ASAP and demand that they put it in place. Now, the good news for the state of Texas is they'll earn money when they do this. And even the Democrats may like the fact that we're charging fees on this. And they say, wow, that'll be extra money for the for uh, the state because you can buy gold below spot price if you buy in volume. Uh, and, and they'll be able to make a spread off that, and then they'll get to charge, you know, when you use a MasterCard, somebody's earning money somewhere because they'll pay you cash back or give you miles or give you bonus points or whatever. Well, all of that will go to the state of Texas to operate the bullion depository. So it won't be a very expensive proposition. In fact, it'll be fee generating for the state of Texas. But your money will be 100% there, just like when you pay for a $100 bill with your MasterCard, it give, it, they take $100 from you. The merchant gets a little bit less, and in this case, the merchant will be paying that fee to give you the convenience of using gold, just like they did at that Italian restaurant in Colorado Springs. Uh, please pray for us. Please go to economicwarroom.com, sign up to get the battle plans, and watch the episode uh, and support Brian Hughes's State Senate Bill 2334 and Mark DeRazio's identical House legislation, uh, Texas House Bill 4903. We can do this quickly. Repeat the episode number. By the way, this is people outside the state of Texas can participate in this bank in Texas with no problems, correct? And people outside the um, state can do this. I believe episode 224 is the episode you want to watch. And the uh, state Senate bill from Brian Hughes is 2334, and the House bill by DeRazio is 4903. And they can find more information by going to your website, which once again is what? Economicwarroom.com. Greg, anything you want to add to what's been shared as we get ready to cap this off? Remember, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power.
power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. Well, and with that, with that I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead, Greg. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. We need to be attuned to his voice and follow his leading and guiding. The whole purpose behind the media is to sell advertisement, not to make you a better investor. Yeah, I really appreciate both you men coming on. We're going to uh, go into a little bit more of a, a Bible study here in the next few moments. We're going to go into more prayer. So uh, let's get, let's get, we're going to continue the broadcast right now. I'm going to let both of you go as we go into and look at the scriptures a little bit more and, and then go into prayer over this topic. You've given us something to pray for. So thank you so much, man. Thank you for being with me. Blessings on you. And now we're back live here. That was taped two days ago. We're going to go right to Gary Cass, Pastor Gary Cass. He was on the World Prayer Network about a year ago, I believe it was. And I'm going to have him lay out some scriptural foundations of what we have just processed through. So, Gary, if you thank you for being on here. Gary's a, a well-known pastor in our county who we highly respect and highly honor. Gary, can you unmute and come on right now so we can continue this, the scriptural foundations? Sure. Let me start with uh, something you may not know. In 1938, Nikolai Kondraty, having been imprisoned in 1930 under Stalin's reign of terror in Russia, was murdered uh, during one of Stalin's purges. And uh, what was his great crime? Um, he was murdered because he became known uh, for what was eventually called the K-waves, the Kondrativ waves. Um, he was an economist, and uh, he was able to, uh, by study, to demonstrate that Western capitalist economies um, have a, a business cycle. They, they come, they go. There's kind of a boom-bust uh, cycle where they, it booms for a long time. Then, unfortunately, there's uh, usually some kind of a correction, sometimes even a depression, but then it reconstitutes itself. And uh, they restart and they move on. And uh, using capitalism, they generally are able to produce wealth and prosperity. Well, of course, if you know uh, communist um, economic theory, that's not possible because communism is always where the economy is going to go. That's the future. And uh, because he came out with these facts, unfortunately, uh, he was murdered. Um, I'm hoping... Uh, for better things for us, but we do need to see that the Bible consistently and uh, teaches uh, capitalism. I know there's a lot of uh, static in the uh, system out there. Some people try to uh, invoke the Bible to try to smuggle in socialism, but any honest person, even Karl Marx himself, admitted the Bible does not teach socialism or communism. Here's the problem, though. Um, we have to execute our capitalism uh, in a moral way. And when capitalism becomes unmoored from biblical values, uh, then we kind of find ourselves in, I think, the situation we find ourselves in today, where we have an economy based upon what's called fiat currency. If you go back to the founding era, you'll see the founders were very much opposed to any kind of centralized national bank that would seek to control the currency because nothing's new under the sun. We know what happens when the government becomes in control of the currency, the government becomes a thief. And uh, we've been seeing that, unfortunately. Uh, we've seen it in the, uh, what uh, it's been called quantitative easing. And oh, by the way, I apologize. I do have to make a, a caveat here because I do have a securities license with the uh, government, I do have to say, none of this is investing in vice. This is just pious uh, spiritual advice, but uh, I hope you can uh, make uh, a connection. So I have to say that so I don't get in trouble with the government here. But uh, <clears throat> we do see that the central banking has through what's called quantitative easing, just in other words, they're printing money. They're printing money like crazy. And why would they do that? Because the government has found over time, it's a lot easier to print more money than it is to raise taxes. And But the net effect is the same thing. They're still destroying the purchasing power of your money because now your money can buy less. And then we see the bailouts and all of the things that have been uh, try, uh, 
attempted here in the last few uh, decades here to try to bail things out, but um, it's not going to work because we're building on sand and we're rewarding people uh, to take uh, unreasonable risk. And so the Bible, fortunately, has an answer for that. And some of that has already been discussed before. And the Bible upholds a, a fixed standard of money. And by having a fixed standard of money, it encourages good habits, habits of saving and investing, careful uh, investing, uh, which in the long run creates a healthy economy. And it's not built on speculation. It's not built on fractional banking. All of these things that tend to undermine a good moral economic system. So where do we find this in the scriptures? Well, in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there are at least 25 references to what's called the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, the Lord instructed Israel as part of his covenant with them that they were to have a standard weight, a standard weight of measure. And in fact, we see in Exodus chapter 30, verse 13, that they were to have 20 geras per unit of gold. That's what a shekel would be consisting of, 20 geras. And so that was to be consistent. It was to assure a consistent value. In fact, and this is, I think, something that we should very much take seriously, is that the weight of, of a shekel, this 20 geras, was actually kept in the tabernacle to ensure that there would be no debasing of the currency. And I and just thinking about that, that you know, some people may dismiss what we're talking about. This isn't really spiritual. I mean, aren't you being kind of worldly? Why are you even talking about this? We need to talk about spiritual things. But isn't it interesting that God in the construction of the temple. That's where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the holy place, and the, of course the most holy. So we, we see the temple as the dwelling place of God, and God says, I want you to put in my presence an, an exact measure of a shekel so that the currency of my people will never be debased. In Leviticus 19.35, it says, you shall do no injustice. So everybody's about justice these days, right? Well, God has a standard of justice. What does he say? You shall do no injustment in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. So this is a matter of justice. This isn't uh, anything less important than any other just cause that you might be concerned about. And there are good just causes that we are concerned about as Christians, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, all of these things are are, are just causes, but so is having uh, equitable weights and standards that do not change. In fact, um, Proverbs 20 verse 10 uses some very strong language. It says, diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. That's the strongest language that you'll find in the Bible when God declares something to be an abomination. And those of you who know your Bible, you know that this is the strongest censure uh, that the scriptures can uh, bring to bear. And then uh, in Deuteronomy 25, 15, God gives us a promise. And this promise should sound familiar. Uh, listen to the language of this, Deuteronomy 25, verse 15, and you shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure. Why? That your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is given you. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's echoing right out of the Ten Commandments, right? That uh, if you will honor your father and mother, and we know by ex extrapolation, that means if you will honor God-given authority, first in the home and then in the church and then in the state, if you will show proper 
uh, respect. Uh, God promises you length of days. And that same promise now is attached to maintaining justice in your weights and measures. And so we can see having a re reliable medium of exchange, such as gold, is, is a necessary and, and a, a, if you will, a biblical component for any economy to flourish. And that is unchanging. And we can see, even though we live in a digital age, um, if you look around, uh, you will see that we need to have it actually attached to something like gold so that it is a just standard so that people can't come in and undermine it by creating more currency. It's nothing less than a violation of the sixth command, thou shall not steal. Gary, you always amaze me. You nailed it uh, so well in bringing the biblical underpinnings to everything we've been listening to. I'm going to be putting this out in a newsletter, this link. If you have what you've shared in written form, I'd love to include that uh, in there, what you have just shared. Thoughts from Gary Cass on this. So you let me know if you have it written out in some form we could make available in a newsletter. This would be very helpful. You have to. And I, I just say over the years, Gary Cass has been a close friend. He and Frank Case are the two guys I turn to the quickest to give me a biblical understanding of this issue. I want the I want the foundational issues. And, and Gary, Gary, off the top of his head, as long with, as well as Frank Kaser, uh, who's been on here many times before, uh, always uh, do that. Gary is one of the persons that helped me, along with Frank, helped me write the book Well Versed. And uh, they're probably going to be helping me do a Well Versed Part Two that we're going to work on actually right now and hope to have out before the end of this year, if at all possible. Gary Cass, uh, why don't you just start us off? lead in prayer for our nation's economic situation. And we're going to go right to Kingsley Walker for worship. But Gary, you want to pray first and remember those House bills and Senate bill, the Senate bill 2345 in Texas and House bill 4903. So Senate bill 2344, House bill 4903. If you'll lead in prayer right now, Gary, and, uh, and then we're going to go right to um, Kingsley Walker. For, for worship, and then some other people going to lead prayer after that. Go right ahead, Gary. Be delighted. Mm. Father, thank you for the, the love that you have for us um, that, of course, extends uh, all the way to that day when we will be forever in your presence, when uh, the new heavens and the new earth converge uh, with this old heaven and old earth, Lord, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, uh, Lord, and you will make your dwelling place with us. It's beyond our imagination. And yet, Lord, uh, you're not just concerned with eternity. Lord, you've given us this world in which we are to live. And uh, Lord, you didn't make us uh, disembodied spirits. You made us uh, body and soul. And Lord, we're not, uh, we can't lapse into some kind of uh, pietism that only uh, brings Christ and his word to bear on spiritual things. Of course, he is Lord of, of the church and of our souls and, and of our uh, spiritual life, absolutely. But Lord, um, you have a word for all of life. This is your world. You created it and you said it was good. You say in your word, that you have given us richly all things to enjoy here. And Lord, uh, you want us to have uh, the lawful uh, pleasures that are afforded us uh, as your creatures. And Lord, we thank you for your covenant faithfulness, that you will bring blessings into our, our life as we comfort our, our life to uh, your law and your will. And Lord, uh, that includes this very practical thing of economic policies. And for years, Lord, uh, 50 years ago, uh, Richard Nixon took us off uh, the gold standard. 50 years ago, uh, we passed a, a bill about legalizing abortion, Roe versus Wade. Lord, there's 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 cycles, and and uh, we see uh, cycles of judgment. And Lord, we we 
admit, Lord, if you were to judge us, we could not remonstrate because we know we're guilty. But Lord, you are a merciful God. And Lord, we would plead your mercies. And Lord, where there's been injustice, Lord, would you bring back your standards, Lord, where we've lost our way, where we've grieved your Holy Spirit, where we violated your law, we ask for mercy. And Lord, uh, in the midst of this turmoil, bank closures, all of the things that uh, could uh, put us into a state of anxiety, uh, Lord, even uh, as we spoke before the program, Lord, you are the, the Lord over the chaos. Lord, you're the one that spoke into the chaos and created this world, and you called it good and very good. So, Lord, we trust you. We trust you, Lord, and that you will be able to take care of your children. And, Lord, that we do not have to be uh, fearful or anxious, but, Lord, we trust your heart for us. We saw your love demonstrated on an old rugged cross. And Lord, uh, may we, uh, again, in the spirit, catch a glimpse of your great love for us in your son, and that we would rest in the grace of God that you make available to us. So send us, Lord, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, that he might fill us with faith and confidence and assurance in what you are going to do. Lord, salvation is of the Lord. Lord, that's our only hope. Lord, and you can save us, and you can restore us, and you can preserve us through every trial. That is our great hope through Christ. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.